1: You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth.
0: Hello again, free thinkers, and welcome back to another powerful episode of the Free Thought Project podcast. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me today is the Free Thought Project editor in chief, Matt Agarist. Well, it finally happened after about two months of scheduling. I'm as giddy as a schoolgirl to present to you our podcast with the one and only Spike Cohen. Spike really doesn't need much of an introduction. There's a good chance you've seen his name on a viral tweet or heard his name during the 2020 election as he was the Libertarian Party vice presidential candidate. Now, Spike has been a very effective messenger of libertarian and anarchist principles. And as I alluded to in the opening of the show, there's a very good chance that Spike is one of the most popular libertarians in the world right now. This was my first opportunity to really speak to Spike, and I must say it wasn't hard to hear the passion and conviction in his voice as he spoke. We talked about Elon's takeover, Kanye and Kyrie's wrong think, the recent elections, and solutions to police violence. Spike is absolutely the real deal, so sit back, open your mind and your ears, and listen to one of the most powerful interviews we've done. spike thanks so much for joining us today and welcome to the free thought project podcast i'm happy to be on man we've been looking forward to this conversation and it's safe to say you're a pretty busy guy
2: i uh i get around yeah (laughs) i actually uh um or later today i'm gonna be flying to uh, columbus ohio for Uh, I'm going to be a a moderator on a couple panels there uh, about criminal justice reform. Uh, I just got back from uh, Melbourne, Florida uh, and escaped uh, Hurricane Nicole or Tropical Storm Nicole. Uh, She's now followed me back to South Carolina, so we'll (laughs) see how my flight goes. But uh, yeah, no, they they keep me busy out here. Yeah, man, you don't ever slow down.
0: And I would say you're probably one of the most popular libertarians on the planet. So um, that's not an exaggeration.
2: I do what I can. (laughs)
0: you were the the 2020 libertarian party vice presidential candidate and felt like that was kind of a launch pad to skyrocket your name and your work into more of the mainstream sphere so i was hoping to talk about a few topics today hopefully we could focus on some of your work and some solutions to police brutality but first we saw that one of your tweets on twitter was recently replied to by the chief twit himself elon musk Yes. yes um so how did that make you feel and what is your take on the whole Elon takeover of Twitter?
2: Yeah, I mean that was pretty cool. He's pretty active on Twitter so it wasn't all that surprising, but uh yeah, he was responding to I had mentioned that he he basically uh bullied the White House or or Twitter basically bullied the White House into uh, deleting one of their tweets because the new uh uh Twitter Community notes fact-checking feature is actually pretty decent. It allows anyone uh, who signs up to uh, to contribute to community notes and to provide context to tweets. They don't punish uh, tweets that don't have context. They just provide the additional context. And, uh, and in the case of, uh, politicians that are putting out bad spin, uh, it pressures them to delete it so that they don't look like idiots. So no, I like it. I think it's cool. Um, and I think, uh, you know, it remains to be seen what will happen with, uh, with Elon taking over Twitter. Um, I'm certainly, I would say overall, I'm a fan of, of a good bit of what Elon does, but it's not as though he is, uh, you know, uh, a perfect by any stretch of the imagination. He certainly accepted his fair share of subsidies and breaks and things like that. But, you know, we'll see. He's saying that he wants Twitter to be the place for the most dynamic uh, discourse, international discourse, you know, going across uh, language boundaries, national boundaries, ethnic boundaries, political boundaries, and everything else. Uh, And that, you know, uh, absent, you know, direct threats and things like that that he wants it to be as free and open as possible and if that's what he wants then
1: godspeed to him well let's let's see what happens what do you make of the kathy griffin band then um i was kind of disappointed when i saw that right she changed her profile to him and then like kind of satirically made it look like she was his profile and then poof gone and i don't i can't stand the woman myself i think she's a terrible comedian but it seems like there's a and there was a lot of support for it right the the right wing like completely took that football and down the field with it we're like yeah, yeah we you know. got like they want the pendulum to swing in the other direction now you know and i i i totally disagree with the her being banned and um i'd love to get your take on that
2: yeah so honestly I only heard that she had been banned and that it had something to do with her impersonating Elon or or putting up his picture or name or something like that assuming that's all that was done then yeah I'm not a fan of of you know making fun of Elon getting you banned from Twitter uh or or honestly making fun of anyone getting you banned from Twitter or or suspended from Twitter um if there was more to it then you know that would be one thing but uh my understanding was the ban hammer went down quite a bit and they were saying I, I think he was saying if, uh, if you parody someone else, but you don't mention that it's a parody or satire, then, uh, then you're going to get removed. Cause you know, they don't want people being impersonated, especially now that like everyone's getting blue check marks, which by the way, <laughs> I think is the best thing ever. I love it. I, as someone who's been uh, a blue check for a while, I love watching the, <laughs> the walls be taken down and, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, blue checks for all, uh, I, I think it's great. But, um, you know, if, if, I kind of get the idea of requiring that someone say that something is a parody or satire so that they don't get essentially slandered by someone, you know, impersonating them. But, uh, you know, overall, I think they just need to, if it truly was just, you know, making fun of them or being an obvious parody and then getting banned, I I obviously, I agree with you. I don't support that either. I think the, the standards for suspending or banning people need to err on the side of, you know, letting people express themselves whenever possible agreed yeah, yeah I agree
1: wholeheartedly the blue check is kind of uh also it it I mean it's awesome that anybody can get the blue check now and verify yourself and <laughs> but did you notice that they they added another check so now like if, if you can you can get a blue check but then you can also get double verified and you get the uh the official underneath your your name now if you're like the official version of that blue check whatever <laughs> so that he means. actually he actually just killed that. Oh, um, really? It was okay. yeah. So that was basically the official
2: was denoting that someone had paid the eight dollars for it. And so they killed that because ultimately everyone's eventually going to be paying the eight dollars for it, apparently. I'm still waiting for my I haven't been notified of anything like, Hey, it's time to get Twitter blue or whatever. Um, and honestly, I'm gonna weigh out the options because I mean uh we'll see like uh i'm not against paying eight dollars a month if the features are worth it uh to do Mm -hmm. so and i had honestly considered signing up for twitter blue previously but if like really the only real feature is that you get a blue check mark next to your name i you know i mean again eight dollars is eight dollars but i i if that's it, then I, I probably would would uh, would uh, decline to do it. But my understanding is it also lets you upload much lo- uh, longer videos and a bunch of other stuff. So you know, assuming it's worth the features, I mean, honestly, to, to this app is now more than worth eight bucks a month so far. It's it has become at least for now the most entertaining place on my phone. <laughs>
1: oh yeah, definitely, man. The uh, the the one thing about the eight uh, dollar. Uh, Twitter thing which I I like that feature like we did MeWe offers a, sim, a similar feature where you can pay uh, eight bucks you get not just not you don't get verified but you get all these extra features that are that come with the platform and uh, but what Elon said during this recent interview where he uh, was talking about the eight dollars a month and he basically said that if you don't pay the eight dollars a month you're going to be pushed down to the bottom of the algorithm and no one's going to see your stuff mm-hmm. and that was kind of troubling to me you know like the I guess you, again, eight dollars is not that much a month. But if the people that can't afford it or you know don't want to, then then they have no chance of them of any of their yelling into the void being seen by anybody. You know, so
2: yeah, and that and that's the thing. That's the you know, I mean, honestly, at this point, there's so like I'm seeing blue checks that have three followers. So like at this point, yeah. <laughs> if if the number of blue checks, uh, you know, reaches almost saturation or, or whatever saturation is going to be. And assuming that it gives at least somewhat of a boost to your algorithm to, to be on there then you know by by default if you're one of the, the wary few that doesn't get it then you're kind of going to be pushed down below the the army of blue checks that are spawning across the planet um yeah i'm not i'm not a fan of it but you know i mean elon's also from what it seems like he's trying to figure out a way to make twitter profitable which it apparently hasn't been for quite some time without it just basically like pouring out all of our details to to everyone and trying to make it more subscription based than advertiser based. And if that's if that's truly where he's going, honestly, I I remember a few years ago they said, yes, it costs. You know what? You know, the fact that you're able to use Facebook for free makes them makes Facebook about thirty five dollars a year. And this was quite a while ago. So with inflation, I'm sure it's gone up, but it makes them about thirty five dollars a year. And they you know share all your data and your information with advertisers and all this and i thought well man for 35 bucks a year just leave me alone like i i just pay the 35 a year so if he's moving towards the idea of hey look if you pay if you don't pay you're going to get a bunch of ads um and you're you know not going to you know be seen before any of the blue checks but if you pay the eight bucks a month then you're going to not have ads not have your data shared and you know, and 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 have the the algorithm preference that comes with it. I mean, that's honestly a, a probably a decent deal, but we'll see. Again, I I will preface everything I'm saying with this is very early, and we shall mm-hmm. see what happens. I'm hopeful, but you know, I I've uh, I'm the eternal optimist as well. I'm a libertarian, so you sort of have to
1: be oh for sure i saw I agree with you wholeheartedly 100 on that entire outlook i hope it's like that i like i don't mind paying for it especially if you actually get a product and you right. are not the product yep. as in as we have been before you know uh yeah certainly I, I i like where it's going or the potential for where it could go
0: yeah you, you stole the words out of my mouth matt i mean this verification process is basically making twitter the product rather than you you know yep. So, I mean, that's a huge dynamic change, almost a paradigm shift, as Spike was just saying, you know, with the uh, moving away from the advertising uh, to me, that's kind of the confusing part with the Elon takeover was, you know, he literally tweeted out comedy is now legal again on Twitter. And like. then that whole thing <laughs> happened with Kathy Griffin, you know. Yeah. Or, so, I mean, that's ugh, I don't know. like I don't want him to have this. Uh, perception of being like the strong handed dictator, you know, just because he's a billionaire, he's swooped in there. And and hopefully he kind of levels out with some of this stuff. But I do like the the community notes and, you know, being able to provide context at like a peer level. I, I think that's brilliant. And I feel like that's a much better uh, form of trying to get a handle on the misinformation issue that certainly exists. Yeah. And I think Mines actually has something similar to that, which is like a peer jury system. And uh, it works yep, very yep. effectively um so you know this is much better than the fact checkers coming in with their own personal biases uh right. you know selective enforcement i mean this is really kind of a decentralized approach
2: which you know libertarians decentralized like that's what we're all about right if we're going to have if it's not going to just be a free for all you can put up anything you want doesn't matter if it's true or not or it doesn't you know and and people can only respond by replying to it which honestly that's a pretty decent check on you know, mis- true misinformation and true, you know, slander and lies and stuff like that. Anyway, just, you know, if you get ratio, that's a pretty good fact check. But sure. if you're going to have some actual formalized fact checking, uh, it needs to be decentralized, it needs to be consensus based, and it needs to be a- allowing as many people as possible to participate in it. Um, because otherwise, it ends up being what you have on Facebook, which is you have a handful of people with some of the most clickbaity-looking websites, I mean, they couldn't look more fake. Some of these, if if they tried, um, who are basically, and and Facebook said this in court, providing their opinion and basically punishing you on the algorithm uh, for not comporting with this whoever this schmuck's opinion is. Um, now, the other aspect of it is, I, I like the idea of not punishing people. You know, it's it's punishment enough to get ratioed and have a a. a you know, a missing contact, additional context added to your your tweet or your post or video or whatever, you know, that's enough, you know, that that's enough of a check for me to go, hey, you know what, Uh, I'm going to have to tighten up what I've posted if I if that happens to me. But, um, you know, to then punish people and and give them this like demerit system where, you know, for the next 90 days, anything you post is going to be ignored. That that's that doesn't make any sense in in regards to what you said about, you know, saying comedy is legal and then banning comedy uh, and him being thin skinned If it goes that way, again, talking about powerful checks with the makeup of Twitter, you know, so many people being anti Elon to begin with, I think if Elon does that, he's going to find himself very quickly becoming almost like a Yosemite Sam that bought an app filled with bugs bunnies. So I like I, I don't I think that might deal with itself one way or another. I mean, you can't ban, you know, two thirds of Twitter. So I think I think that, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping that We're not going to see more of that, that like the thing you can't do is make fun of or criticize Elon. Um, I I think that that's that's that would be horrific. That would be in a way worse for Twitter than anything that's happened before that. Instead of it being, oh, if you go against, you know, this range of opinions, we're going to punish you. It's now if you go against this one person who owns this app, we're going to punish you. Everyone's just going to leave. Like, I I, I think if anything, that'll just lead to people leading and, and, you know, something better coming up.
0: Sure, and the irony in all this is a large majority of the left has actually exited the the platform, and that's the market in in action. You know, so in some ways they are believers in the market, which is kind of ironic. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So shifting gears just a little bit, like Elon is part of a handful of people along with Kanye and Kyrie who are getting a lot of media attention and scorn yes. right now, because they're going against the grain, asking some interesting questions, and of course, in Kanye's case, making some bold assertions. I'm sure that we all don't agree with all these things that they're saying, but at the same time, we appreciate that they're rocking the boat by speaking out, addressing some of these you know, very deeply programmed beliefs in society. Um, it, it's personally made me furious the way that they're currently treating Kyrie for simply linking to a documentary they've turned him into a pariah you know they've suspended him. they're making him jump through a bunch of hoops including donate a massive amount of money and speak with jewish leaders in, in new york city among other things like do you feel like this is the beginning of a major push by the establishment to really put their thumb down on anyone with a significant following to intimidate them against speaking out i mean they're telling somebody they can't share information like that's just a few steps from away from throwing books in a fire right like what's your whole take on this debacle
2: yeah, I don't think it's the start of a push. I honestly think it's a push that's been going on for for a long time. Um, full disclosure, I'm Jewish. So, you know, obviously, uh, I wasn't a fan of a lot of what uh, Kanye said. I will admit, I don't know as much about what Kyrie has said or done. I, I know he he linked to, I guess, a, a Hebrew Israelite uh, documentary that asserts that, um, that uh, Jewish people, that, you know, uh, me, basically, that Jewish people, white Jews are are fake and that, uh, and that, uh black people people of african descent are the real jews um i don't know much more than that i don't know if the documentary went further than that you know said other things or anything like that um i will say in general i am a fan of people speak as long as they're not directly threatening anyone or anything like that uh i I i'm a fan of people speaking their minds i'm a very strong believer in free expression which includes free speech um i'm also a fan of another form of free expression which is freedom of association so for example if i Owned a you know a clothing brand or something like that, and I had an, a, a relationship with Kanye. I probably wouldn't want to be associated with him right now. The thing is, I don't think that that's actually what's happening here. I don't think that. You know adidas or um or you know the nba or these these companies that have relationships with sweatshops and dictatorial regimes around the world who actually care about this they're they're virtue signaling which is also a kind of a market action um or, or at least in, in a part uh, a market action um but they're virtue signaling and saying you know we we're against anti-semitism now if you'll excuse us we have another you know multi-billion deal to strike with the uh, Saudi crown. Um, so, you know, excuse me for not believing them. But in general, you know, if uh, if, you know, Bob's taco shop had a had a relationship with Kanye and or Kyrie or, or me or anyone else. And we said something that they found you know particularly egregious, then, yeah, they have every, every right to disassociate. But I, I think that the problem here is that the NBA and Adidas and these groups have because of government fiat protectionism, Have basically become institutions. Like there isn't a a a basketball competitor in any real way to the NBA. The NBA, uh, their stadiums, just like most other professional uh, sports, they get hundreds of millions of dollars in bailouts and and subsidies for their, uh, you know, to to move their teams to different um to different cities or states they get all sorts of uh, of protection they have you know relationships with the the prc with the chinese government to not allow that to me is is far more important than i I, and i will admit i don't know the kairi thing as well but they literally got rid of ns cantor or ns freedom because he spoke out against the totalitarianism of the uh, of Chinese and, and Turkish uh, governments, and you know that is is bothering to me. These things bother me as well. But I think that the bigger problem is that because they've become institutions more so than just brands or or businesses, if our market reaction to their reaction is to say, well, we don't want to associate with them anymore if they're not going to stand with uh, Kanye or Kyrie, uh, we don't really have an alternative, they, they, and they're getting. You know, billions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars in, in carve out deals and bailouts and, and subsidies and everything else. I think that's the real problem is that they turn themselves into institutions. And then if you don't agree with them, uh, they, they essentially destroy you. Uh, another huge problem I had was uh, the uh, I forget which bank it was. Uh, you know, giving Kanye 30 days to leave their bank. That's a huge issue like that. That's now, okay, wrong think means that you're excluded from the the global financial order. That's a huge, you know, that to me is even bigger than a, you know, a brand canceling or something like that.
1: Yeah, the the banking system denying people service like PayPal and Chase and all, all this recent stuff we've been seeing is certainly scary. Then when you put CBDCs on top of that, where they, yep, you know they don't exactly. they don't even have to give you 30 days notice and the government can do it on a whim that's when it gets like nightmarish
2: that's that's when you enter the hell realm and you don't even have to worry about you know social credit scores it'll be much more arbitrary it'll be hey we didn't like that tweet you don't get to access your money until you delete it or apologize and you have to meet with you know leaders of the community that we've decided that you offend that's a problem Mm. like that's a huge huge problem and I will you know in 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 keeping with support for freedom of speech and stuff like that you know banks thanks to the the TARP bailouts and really just the entire uh federal reserve fiat system banks are essentially essentially an extension of the government at this point you know especially the major banks they're Mm -hmm. essentially an extension of the government and I would stand with someone who said the most egregious of things things that I find completely reprehensible I fill in the blanks on the most reprehensible thing that you could think of that isn't you know an actual like threat towards someone's life or something like that and if the banks refuse to do business with that person I would stand with that person's right to be able to say those things without being excluded from the 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 mandated and protected global banking order uh and and you know not essentially no longer existing as a human being financially, I would stand with them. It also speaks to the need uh to double and triple and quadruple down on the continued building up of the blockchain and cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. and decentralized alternatives to that that global order and to resist any attempt to try to you know uh further regulate
1: it or replace it with CBDCs or or anything like that. I mean, it's not just uh, like being subversive or challenging the state at all. It's in China, they're beta testing a lot of this on millions of people. And it's uh, like what groceries you buy. If you buy too many unhealthy groceries, they they reduce your not just your social credit score, but your ability to access their CBDC. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's complete societal engineering into the whatever direction these totalitarians want to bring it. Which means that you now have big pharma and big agriculture deciding
2: what is or is not healthy. And I mean, look at the global, I mean, supposedly the MyPlate, the newest version from the FDA is slightly better than before. But if you look at the global food, the, the, the food pyramid that they use <laughs> through most of my life. Uh, the last forty years I've been alive, my God, that thing was a recipe for diabetes, mm-hmm. and it's and it's and it's no wonder that we have all the obesity and diabetes. Someone who was being told they were eating uh healthy, you know, part of a balanced breakfast, <laughs> my God, you you had enough carbs to to you know kill you in your forties or fifties, and that was directly as a result of uh, the uh, uh, pharmaceutical and agricultural industrial complexes working directly with the FDA and CDC and and other. Um, uh, federal agencies in here and in other countries as well to build that for the sole reason of of using up their surplus corn and wheat supplies. Right. So like now they're going to say, oh, and if you don't buy this, whatever we've decided as part of a balanced breakfast, You don't get to buy, you know, the other stuff you're going to only we're only going to let you buy refined sugars and and processed, you know, heavily grain filled foods. Yes, this is becoming a keto rant, but the, you know, (laughs) that the idea of that, that, you you know, you can't be trusted um, with deciding what you're going to eat today. Uh, putting aside, I mean, obviously just a blatant violation of your, of your natural right to make those decisions. But we also know from a consequential standpoint, what that's going to lead to big businesses are going to decide what you're allowed to eat. It's insane. We should be resisting all this stuff.
0: Agreed my friend. And yeah, talking about CBDCs, I actually made a video what maybe two weeks ago now about a meme that we had posted on our free thought project, Instagram account about CBDCs completely factual information, and it got hit with a fact check. Now, of course, I appealed it, and uh, I believe it was AFP Fact Checker. They actually reversed it to a missing context. But to me, that's pretty ominous. It it means that they're already starting to target the narrative about the CBDC. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be in for a rough ride with that one. So, you know, we're moving right along here, uh, maybe switching topics once again. Considering the the midterm elections were just a few days ago, um i'm sure you have some opinions on them including john fetterman <laughs> you know who couldn't form a coherent yeah. sentence in the debates to save his life you know it seems like there's a strange tradition of voters voting for people who are walking gaff factories you know like george bush yep. and of course the current president uh, joe i've got two words for you made in america biden you know yep. so you recently said in a tweet Yet again, candidates whose character and solution were head and shoulders above their competition came in third, while the people who created the mess we're in went on to win because our candidates often start with almost no built-in base of support. Do you care to share your thoughts about the election and maybe expand on that sentiment conveyed in the tweet a little bit?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the problem with uh, any democratic system that uses first-past-the-post um, a first past the post style, where you know whoever gets the most votes wins, even if it has a runoff system that requires you to get fifty percent. Anything that you know you have to choose one, and only one is going to to you know whoever gets the fir- most votes uh, is going to win, and you can only choose one. You end up with something called I believe it's called Debruge's Law, uh, which is basically that you're going to end up with essentially two a binary choice. And I will add to that. Uh, that that binary choice will become increasingly terrible as time goes on. Because what happens is there is a perverse incentive for the lowest common denominator, even if you remove the the built-in incentives for the Republicans and the Democrats and, and, and in other countries, whatever their major parties are, to present bad options, to play good cop, bad cop with each other, even just human nature, that many human beings Uh, you know, choosing something together, you're going to lead to the lowest common denominators getting picked. Enter George Bush, enter Donald Trump, enter Joe Biden, you know the thing. Enter uh, Herschel Walker, John Fetterman, and and Dr. Oz for that matter. Like, I mean, you know, uh, these options are, it's almost comical. The, The vast majority of people are disgusted by these options, but then they turn around and start defending them reflexively because at least they're not the other guy, whoever the other guy is. Now, put you put aside the fact that these other guys, the other party, these two parties work together every single day to screw us all over. But we're going to put that aside briefly for this election to pretend that it is crucial that John Fetterman beats Doctor Oz or vice versa, or that you know Herschel Walker beats uh, Raphael Warnock or vice versa, and it just leads to these terrible options. I, I actually um, tweeted uh, a joke, kind of joking. I said. I think that a Walker Fetterman 2024 ticket, Herschel Walker and John Fetterman, is the nation healing ticket that America needs and deserves. <laughs> Finally, you know, 95% of the voting public can spend all of their time making constant excuses for the painfully obvious tragic comedy that we're all being forced to witness in front of us. Um, and, and that, you know, that, that could bring America together to just explain away nonsense for however many years they remain in office, which would probably be two entire terms. So about, you know, eight years plus their original campaign. So it's about a decade of coming together to excuse, uh, nonsense. Um, but you know, that's the problem with, uh, with a a system of government um, that imposes choices on each other, that's one of the many problems. Is that it, the lowest common denominator? Usually, the biggest idiot in the room is the one that actually gets that ring of power, which is, works perfectly for the oligarchs that actually run the show.
0: I think that was a a great take on that, Spike. And um, thank you. Yeah. Well, we just you know, there's so many topics that we want to talk to you about. So I don't want to like feel like we're rushing through these, but um there is a reason why we're having this conversation right now is because you were kind enough to retweet a tweet that we made on our police the police twitter account about a story of a 20 year old man uh, named donovan lewis in columbus ohio who was executed yep. in his own bed by columbus police officers at 2:30 in the morning while serving yep. a warrant uh apparently um police were led into the apartment by roommates And you can see in the video they were slowly searching each room. When they finally got to Donovan's bedroom, they open up the door, and within a split second, one of the officers that was opening the door pulls out his firearm and fatally shoots Donovan in the chest. Uh, Even though the officer's partner, you know, he was completely surprised and caught off guard as well. And in typical fashion, you know, they they start yelling at him and instructing him, "Show me your hands! Show me your hands!" And at this point, it it was too late. Now the, the crazy part is that. Uh, this is actually the third video that we've seen in the past six months of people being shot and killed in their own bed or couch in the case of Isaiah Tyree Williams, which begs the question, you know, are we not even safe from police in our own homes anymore? No, Now, When you shared the link, you said we need to go further than ending qualified immunity. We need to end the government monopoly on policing. We need police choice now. And yeah, we could get into the Joshua, what is it, Roar Roar story, but- um, Mm -hmm.
2: Yep, Joshua Roar. can,
0: Can you get into like what you meant by that and what you believe is a legitimate solution to decentralizing police
2: services? Right. So full disclosure here, I am an anarchist. I am a believer that the best form of government is no government and that the best form of governance is one that is voluntary, um, decentralized, and in which the only decisions that are being made by that body of governance are ones in which there is a commons in place and uh, that have voluntarily agreed to commons, uh, and that everything else is left to the actual stakeholders involved, the property owners or the individuals uh, involved in that situation. So with that said, uh, we certainly, there is no Rothbard button and we're not getting uh, anarchy tomorrow. Sorry, kids. But, <laughs> um, or, or even for Christmas, probably, or even Hanukkah. But um, if we are going to have, I mean, we might, I, I, you know, I, again, eternal optimist, but assuming that doesn't happen, um, if we are going to have a a, a state form of government, uh, and if there are going to be, uh, if if it's going to be decided that the government is going to be the uh, the source of funding for uh, for security and law enforcement purposes, then in the same fashion that if they're going to do that for schooling, then at the very least, parents should be deciding where their kids can go to school instead of being forced into terrible monopolies that you know don't give a crap about them and have no incentive to perform. Uh, we should be doing the same thing with police. Um, And if we're the idea of having any kind of monopoly on something as important as safety and, and, you know, traffic, uh, traffic enforcement, and and really like what, as they put it, you know, running a, you know, uh, governing or or enforcing a civil society that can't be in the hands of one government run organization. Um, So as a, Uh, either a transition or just a better alternative i like the idea of a a form of police choice where whether it's at the and because of the nature of policing it would need to it wouldn't be able to be at the individual or or family level like a uh, um like like with school choice but at least at the neighborhood or community level they would actually be able to say okay this is the money assigned to us for policing Here's the organization we choose for that. what that would do is provide some competition for providers of that service. and if those providers don't do well, instead of you know I'm about to go to Ohio for a criminal justice reform uh, summit to talk about how we can fight for change within the existing system. well the the inherent understanding of that is if our either the the people we're pushing for don't get uh, elected or the uh, elected officials in, in in that are in place don't make those changes uh, tough. You're just stuck with that monopoly. How much better would it be if instead at, at a neighborhood or community level, if we're if we generally speaking are not happy with the services being provided? For example, if the police are just straight up going into people's houses and capping them in their in their bed because they had the wrong address or whatever, then uh, then uh, the uh, people in that community uh, would be able to say, okay, well, we're clearly replacing them uh since you're not firing them since no one's being held accountable for that since you've decided they comply they they uh followed your guidelines well those guidelines suck and we don't like them or you and we're going to replace you with someone who would this would provide you know multiple competing services and uh and would you know it would certainly make things a lot better there's certainly a lot of devils in the detail stuff what happens when there's overlap of jurisdictions between different organizations um you know wh- what happens with you know full faith and credit with licensing and things like that but those are details that can be ironed out and honestly are the same questions that are being asked right now with the the multiple uh, overlapping jurisdictions and things like that that's not a reason to say oh well we might as well just stay in the existing system there there has to be a as you had mentioned before and something else a paradigm shift in how uh policing happens um also there needs to just be I mean we need to be ending the war on drugs we do need to be ending qualified immunity if there is going we need to be ending no-knock raids uh and if no-knock raids are going to exist there needs to be an addendum added that if uh, any police officers killed in a no-knock raid it's automatically considered self-defense because if someone breaks near home you don't have the time to figure out who it is doing it um so I mean there's a lot of changes that have to be made but that's my idea behind police choice
1: yeah certainly man and there's but there's like a lot of pushback because people get scared of the term privatized police, you know, they're right. like, Oh, everybody's going to be like Blackwater. And I'm like, no, it's not. They're not going to be like Blackwater. Blackwater is a, is a kind of quasi government exactly. agency that works directly for the state. And we didn't have a choice in who, in sending Blackwater over there. Right. Also we, we completely removed qualified immunity from any private corporation. <clears throat> well, also so if also they, just a, a side note, what's Blackwater going to yeah. do? break into our homes and shoot us in our beds like that's what i mean we this is like when
2: people say oh you know we'll be ruled over by mercenaries we are now we are ruled over by warlords and mercenaries (laughs) who then get in front of the camera and work with the absolutely complicit lapdog corporate media and say well uh, uh we found that the things that we did uh completely complied that you know we did nothing wrong here and if the media does get involved it's to like what they did in 2020 they took a real push for major changes like ending qualified immunity and uh, and ending no-knock raids and ending the war on drugs and turned it into a racial issue. And they turned everyone against each other. And then they weaponized a, a movement that was built to try to fight it and turned it into a, a slush fund for the Democratic Party. Like, that's what happens when uh, the current mercenaries and overlords are in charge. So you know what? Let's roll the dice with having more providers.
0: I'm going to have to it- Insert an in a, a applause sample, I think. After some of this, I, I like that you're getting, I like you're getting fired up, Spike. That means that we're uh, touching on some some topics that really touch a nerve. Yeah, you're you're very well versed on this topic, much more than many other libertarians. I really appreciate that. And uh, this topic's like pulling teeth, honestly. When whenever we talk about it with anybody, yes. even you know some big L libertarians, they just don't, they can't conceptualize the fact that current state of law enforcement is a monopoly, you know, and as you said, the linchpin is really competition and voluntary choice. Uh, Those will make a significant difference, you know, because right now the monopoly gives no incentive, provides no incentive for law enforcement to be effective, to be efficient, yeah, to uh, improve. So, um, you know, there's a huge issue here. And we actually have a shining example uh, by the name of Dale Brown in Detroit with the Threat Management Center, This guy has had 20 years Mm. plus experience with a private security protection company in Detroit, and he's been successful. None of his employees or customers have ever been hurt, killed, or uh, that I know of arrested. Wow. If, if you're not familiar with Dale, Dale Brown, definitely check him out. We've done an interview. With him. I will have
2: to. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I may have heard of that before, but I've also heard a lot of things over. time. I, I get exposed to a lot of stuff over the time, and I, I don't recall that offhand. I, I definitely need to look more into Dale Brown and what was the company called? Threat Management Center in Detroit. I, I will look into that. Yeah,
1: yeah, but like staying on subject here, man. One of the most like disappointing and and kind of flagrant uh, violations by this monopoly that we have on the police is when people who give their lives they devote their lives to upholding this corrupt system through military or yeah. uh, or whatever just uh, any any type of service like that um government service they come back home and only to be mutil- brutalized or 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 kidnapped and caged by these by this very system that they you know devoted their lives to yep. to uphold yep and one of those people's name we just mentioned him earlier is Joshua Roar. and you've been a a big advocate for this guy, man. and um, his story is is not unique, you know he's he's a uh, no it is isn't. He, he, yeah, that's what that's what sucks, man like the the veterans in this country are like once they come back they we're that's why they have us on the list of terrorists, you know i'm a, I'm a veteran myself yep. and the we're, we're they're definitely keeping an eye out for people who are veterans who become disgruntled with the system. And Joshua Rohr is one example. But just this week, we did a story about uh, another veteran who was actually blind. His name was James Hodges. He had his folding walking cane in his back pocket. And cops accused that of of, of him having a a weapon and then proceeded. The whole thing was caught on video. Mm -hmm. You know, he asked the, the female police officer who had detained him, are you a tyrant? And she said, well, yeah, actually I am. Yep, yep. <laughs> and then they, they, they had nothing on which to detain him because he clearly showed that it was a walking cane, yes. that he was holding not a gun. Yep. And the, the supervisor went ahead and trumped up false charges of resisting arrest so that they could kidnap this yeah, guy, they arrested
2: yeah. him for resisting arrest. That the he hadn't, they hadn't arrested him, so there was nothing to resist, exactly. and he did not resist being arrested for resisting arrest. They arrested him because he, well, within both his moral, ethical, and and his legal rights, refused to provide any ID because he had already uh, uh, dealt with any potential articulable suspicion of a crime by showing them that the walking stick was in fact a walking stick. They did, they knew that hundred percent. Incidentally, that supervisor uh, used to be a canine cop. Before he left his uh, dog in the car and it died of uh, of of uh, heat uh, overexposure to heat or or whatever, really? nice uh, so uh, they didn't fire him. They just said, uh, "No more dogs for you, bud. You're only going to work with people now." Um, so yeah, no that that case was egregious, and and like you said, man, the the veterans and, and people that that you know active duty troops sign a, a, a an oath to protect and defend the Constitution, and by extension, the American people, from all enemies, foreign and domestic, They are then often sent overseas by those domestic enemies to fight, kill, and sometimes die for the benefit of central bankers, uh, those same politicians, uh, foreign dictatorships and warlords, some of the worst human, drug cartels, of course, the military industrial complex, some of the worst human beings on earth. And then if they are fortunate enough not to come home in a flag-draped casket, uh, they often have, you know, PTSD, uh, meso- uh, mental and physical traumas from their service, and then they are end up becoming, as a group, the most marginalized and maligned group in the country compare them to any racial or ethnic or gender or any other type of group, religious group or anything else, they have the worst outcomes in terms of uh, percentage of imprisonment. One out of every, I believe, 11 or 12 veterans is either in prison or on parole. Uh, One out of every, I believe, roughly around 10 or 11 veterans is homeless. It's an absolute nightmare. And then you hear of a situation and you mentioned Joshua Rohrer. Joshua Rohrer, was wrongfully arrested and assaulted by police officers in Gastonia, North Carolina. They tased his service dog, uh, who later died. And uh, the whole thing is on body cam. They fought for nearly a year to keep the body cam footage from being released. Uh, My organization, You Are The Power, helped fight to get that released. And now we're fighting for justice, for accountability for those officers, and for uh, rectification for the situation they put Joshua in as best they can. Um, And my organization, uh, You Are The Power, That's what we do. We find examples of uh, people who have been run roughshod over by their governments like Joshua and many others have. We help them and, and people in that community to organize, to fight back and get accountability and justice. And most importantly, for the long term, we use that as an opening conversation for how we even got here in the first place to talk to community members about how this even happened and how statism and central planning causes these problems and how liberty and um,
1: decentralization uh, is the solution to those problems. Man, I love how all of these different things, you you, you attack it from the police state side. I saw uh, a, a drug addict that you had worked with or tweeted about recently. I actually covered it, actually. His name's Drew Cook. Um, he, he started like... It's amazing, man. That's why you're such a busy guy. I guess you 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 are like attacking all facets of this and and I love it, man. The drug war and the police state are like two big passions of mine and you you get I can tell in your voice you get heated like just like I do when when I think about, you know, ways to stop it and how volunteerism is of a, a heavy solution in that
2: as a recovering drug addict who uh, thankfully i've been sober for 16 years now i i was a, a, a very heavily addicted for the better part of a decade um who thankfully never was strung up by the uh, by the the criminal justice system by the i guess the grace of god um to see people who did what i did being treated like monsters and and trying to claw their life back while simultaneously fighting a system that's victimizing them for what is essentially a health problem and treating them like some of the worst people's on, people on earth, not just the criminal system, but through the corporate media vilifying them as these horrific and, and uniquely terrible, mentally weak, horrible people and so forth, you know, druggies and junkies and so forth. It, it's a huge passion of mine. Drew Cook, uh, who is also a recovering addict and does work in Oklahoma city with out of harm's way, uh, Oklahoma city providing, um, uh, kits to help people who are still addicted to get um, to be able to use safely, but also providing literature and information and contact info for if, if and when they're ready to get clean. He's saved so many lives already, he's doing incredible work. Um, and uh, another guy by the name of Chris Dreisbach in Pennsylvania uh, started an organization called Second Chances that's actually working with police officers to provide an alternative when they come across people uh, who are not being violent, but who are drug addicts uh, instead of in, you know, in Pennsylvania, they still have a very uh, robust drug war there, but uh, police are being given the alternative. Uh, instead of having to go through all the paperwork of arresting the person, instead they're actually incentivized to call one of the second chances uh, interlocutors, whatever they call them, and they show up. Uh, These are people that are also recovering addicts that have uh, been trained in doing so. They show up and they talk to these folks and say, hey, instead of getting arrested, why don't you come with us and we will get you uh um we'll we'll help you with rehab we will get you um you know uh help you with occupational training and stuff like that we'll help try to line you up for a job let's let's turn your life around here's an opportunity to turn your life around they also encourage the officers and i think this is the most powerful part of it they encourage the officers to stay in touch with those people that they that they didn't arrest and they encourage the the people that recover Uh, that weren't arrested to stay in touch with the officers. And many of them have actually, these officers have actually had some of these people at their homes for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And what they're doing is humanizing uh, people with addiction issues to the people who have often been victimizing them so that the next time they come across a drug addict, they go, hey, you know what? That's just like that guy, Bob, that's my friend now. And that in my mind, long-term is actually the most powerful thing they're doing is providing a human face and kind of not forcing, but strongly encouraging these officers to realize these are human beings you're dealing with. Yes, they're in a bad place, but they have a health problem. You, you know, hopefully you wouldn't do this to someone who has a broken leg or to someone who has, you know, the flu or something like that. Why would you do it to someone with this health problem? So, you know, Drew Cook and Chris Icebach are among two uh, people, both of whom are recovering addicts, that are doing incredible work—not just to try to fight the war on drugs, but to try to help the people who are currently roped up in it right now. And as someone who Thankfully, has been able to be free from that for many years now. I I could not be more appreciative of the work they're doing. And I, I'm a strong ally and proponent for them and, and, and a great colleague in working with them on, on what they're doing.
1: Definitely, man. And in, in Pennsylvania, they, they do have that big program they started years ago. We've been advocates for it for a long time, like the Guardian Angel program, where they uh it's I think it started in Gloucester, where they um they actually <clears throat> Instead of kidnapping and caging people, they provide you help, like you just said, man. And it's been the we've now have almost a decade or, or like eight years of watching it unfold, and it, it the results are you know are amazing. <laughs> so, like, it, it, it the proof is in the pudding. And I, I think that we need to do attack the drug war from this angle, and that way it would be a lot, uh, a lot more successful, <clears throat> sir absolutely we need we
2: need because again there is no Rothbar button. if i find the rothbard button i'm pushing the thing to my <laughs> fingers bleed but there is no Rothbar button as of yet again keep your fingers crossed for hanukkah but uh, as long as we have the monopolistic policing system that we have you know we have to try to work with th- these officers and try to show them this is no different than you know than any other person who's in need of help and i will say i i've met a lot of police officers uh, on the campaign trail uh, and and before that as well and yes there are some who are you know absolute monsters like you know the guy who shot um, I forget his name but the, the one we were just talking about in his bed and things like that there are also other officers who similar to a lot of veterans they signed up for something and thought that they were doing the right thing and they've been propagandized into thinking they are doing the right thing I think there are a lot of officers out there that know they're not you know we're not necessarily going to turn them into voluntarists but we can at least show them that that re remind them that some of these folks that that the, all of these folks that they're dealing with are human beings and that there are better ways to deal with this than kidnapping them Putting them in cages, roping them up with a with a criminal record that makes everything exponentially harder. I mean, anyone who has any kind of felony record uh, knows better than I'm saying just how much harder life is when you've got that record. And forget if you're on parole or something like that. Can't even leave the state. Can't associate with certain people and stuff like that. It just makes everything harder. And if we can show as many of these people as possible um, that you know these are human beings, and there's a better way, and we can show them a better way to deal with it, so that they're. Not on the streets, and they're not homeless, and they're not, uh, you know, addicted to drugs. They're actually getting help. Then, no, it's not ending the war on drugs, but it's at least helping the people that would have otherwise been had their lives destroyed by it in the meantime. And we could potentially make advocates. Uh, I, I've met an increasing number of officers who, because of programs like this, are now advocates for ending the war on drugs, or at least uh, eliminating the the penalties for um, for users and so-called small-time dealers, addicts who are just selling and 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 you know to keep their habit going. And that's a step in the right direction. It's 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 incremental, and it sucks. I I don't like incrementalism as much as anyone else here doesn't, but it's something. It, it gets us in the right direction.
0: Sure, absolutely, and. You said something important there, and I, I often try to use this to caption uh, any types of posts that we make to get people to think a little bit further. But if you look through the lens of is this the best we can do, I, I think that kind of opens up people's minds a little bit. It, it sparks that that light bulb to think like, wow, is this the best we can do in society? You know, Um, so I'm, yeah. I'm glad that you said that. And congrats on your sobriety, man. I didn't realize that. That's, Thank you. Uh, yeah, that's wonderful to hear. The war on drugs has been so damaging. I mean, the propaganda was so strong throughout the '80s and '90s, and it really has dehumanized people to such a, you know, extent that, it, I mean, it just look at everything that's happened over the past what 50 years of failed drug war policies. I mean, it, it's really been disastrous to this country and that story about drew cook it actually did really well for us uh i I think it was probably because it was a positive story um you know we don't unfortunately get to focus on a lot of those you know because there is so much negativity and things that we kind of have to keep our our finger on um you know yesterday in fact we covered a story about a cop killing a good samaritan who had just been shot uh two days ago we covered a story about a cop shooting another cop in the face uh last week we covered a, a story about a cop who beat starved and left an eight year old boy in the freezing cold who courts decided could have his pension back with interest and before that we we covered a story about a cop who walked into traffic and started smashing side view mirrors another one from last week was a police sniper who killed a depressed and suicidal man from outside his home as he sat alone in his bedroom not harming anyone so these stories go on and on i know you know that probably better than most people spike you know and we, we cover them extensively so like when if ever or what would it take for the American public to finally hit a breaking point and seek, like, a drastic overhaul or even, dare I say, a paradigm shift completely away from the public policing paradigm? I mean, we had the George Floyd protests, but that didn't really get us anywhere.
2: So the problem is, it's not going to be a thing that ignites a spark in the people. And, like you said, 2020. George Floyd is murdered. We watch it on camera. The entire nation, pretty much the entire nation is horrified. Then we hear about more details about the Breonna Taylor killing and the fact that they were actually at that point still trying to prosecute her. Uh, I think Kenneth Walker is his name, her boyfriend, who defended himself against people that broke into their home. Um, And that sparked a widespread push for major changes to criminal justice reform this was very early on in like june this was shortly after i got the vp nomination and so i was following this even more closely than i would have normally and i saw there was a put to put in perspective just how angry the american people were and how much how ready they were for major changes newsweek put out a poll of registered voters uh no actually it wasn't registered voters it was of just of, of americans of all adults they did a poll and asked if uh, Americans thought that burning down the precinct, which they did, the precinct that Derek Chauvin served out of, was a, a appropriate response to the murder of George Floyd. 54% of the human beings that you see walking around at the grocery store, just normy, n- normal normies, 54% said yes They should have burned the police station down. If America had never been more ready for serious changes to how policing is done in this country, it was in the summer of 2020. But we saw what happened. The government, the corporate media immediately went to work. The same police state that created this unrest through the murder of George Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor and countless others, that same police state stood down and let rioters and looters take over ent- entire cities and arrested the people who actually tried to defend themselves. And in doing that, they created this fervor among at least a, a good amount of the public, at least half the public, that, wow, okay, maybe we need the cops and we need more of them and we need even you know less reforms. We need the police to be able to crack down on these people that are taking over our neighborhoods they did that intentionally and the corporate media lapdogs went along with it entirely then they you know through the the BLM Inc created an organization that acted as a slush fund for Joe Biden, the architect of police state terrorism, and Kamala Harris, one of the worst um, prosecutors in our lifetime, someone who put two men on death row for crimes she had evidence they didn't commit and illegally and intentionally withheld exculpatory evidence. That was their champions that the government and corporate media used BLM Inc. to push for That's what's going to happen if we are waiting for a a watershed moment to push everyone across a threshold. That's what will happen every time. We have to build this from the ground up, from community to community, and get people to understand the harm that's being done in their backyard for one simple reason. There is too much power in the hands of too few people. And that's why I started You Are The Power. That's exactly what we do. We find these incidents. We help bring attention to it through social media. We help drive local media attention. We help the people in the communities organize to fight for justice. And we use it as an opening conversation to talk about the fact that this wouldn't have ever even happened if the people didn't have their rights and autonomy back. And to help push for that to happen. That's what it's going to take. Whether it's through you or the power or other organizations or other individuals who do it, we are going to have to fight this in our communities and build it from the grassroots up because the corporate media and the the government from a you know from a national level and the the police and prison industrial complex and everything that is has a, a perverse incentive to keep this going, they can't fight us there. They don't have the wherewithal to fight us in every single community. So that's where it has to be from the bottom up, not the top down.
0: I love it, Spike. You're, you're definitely uh, a great orator of these, these topics and this conversation. All right, free thinkers. this episode is nearing its end. Just a reminder, we've been working extremely hard to bring you some of the most powerful voices in the Truth Liberty movement. We work tirelessly for you to bring these concepts to the masses and to educate and wake up those who continue to sleep please don't forget to consider donating or subscribing if you appreciate the work we do. It's becoming more and more difficult to do this, and we can no longer depend on social media advertisers of big tech monetization. Our support network is you. So help us rebuild this organization by going to our website, thefreethoughtproject.com, and at the top, you'll find tabs for our memberships and donations. Also, please review and rate this podcast if you enjoyed it. Thank you, Freethinkers. We are getting close to wrapping up. You know, Usually at the end of our podcast, we try to talk about some solutions, but I think you just kind of did that. So maybe instead of talking about solutions, we could acknowledge that you have a stellar social media presence across nearly every social media platform. Maybe you can share with our audience some tips for reaching the masses with viral posts, what makes a good meme, uh, how to be effective with packaging and marketing libertarian ideas.
2: So the number one thing I will tell you is tell stories. Many libertarian-minded people, including me and possibly you, um, we tend to think in terms of systems and solutions. We're very we tend to be more cerebral than the public, and we tend to be less um, reliant on emotion and social cues. And that's a problem. Um, It's it's why we. It's why we're the the early adopters and the innovators, but we need to reach the majorities. Mm-hmm. We need to reach the people who want to see if it works. They want to see if it makes sense to them. They want to see if it if it uh, you know if they if they have an emotional connection to it. They want to see if others agree with it, and that sucks. That's the problem with you know with having a a lowest common denominator form of, of governance uh, and and you know and all that comes with it. but we have to work within it. And so you'll notice I tell a lot of stories. and I start from the standpoint of here is this person and here is this terrible thing that happened to them, and here's why it happened, and here's what you can do to help me make sure it never happens again or to try to fight to get justice for this person. Or I'll tell a story about, here is this person, and look at the wonderful thing they did, because, and here's why they were able to do that thing because they worked voluntarily, and here's how you can help them. So you tell a story, you make an emotional connection, you explain why it should matter to them, and then you explain how we got there and either how we can fix it or keep it from happening in the future or how we can help them and have even more of it. And that's how I do it. That's, that's, you know, sometimes I get stuff and I put stuff out and it gets, you know, hundreds of reactions. And sometimes I put stuff out and it gets hundreds of thousands or millions of reactions. You know, that is, is really, you know, the, the algorithm gods and, and, you know, what time of day you post (laughs) and a bunch of other factors that are, are hard to really, you know, put it, but in terms of like how to just have good engaging social media, tell stories that people will connect with. Um, And, and I guess as a, a, you know, a, 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 Addendum to that, uh, how to be effective in your communities is exactly what we are working on with my organization. You are the power. And, and if you'd like to be a part of it, if you want to be a part of the growing grassroots movement to fight to set America and the world free by meeting people where they are and talking about problems facing their communities and helping them fight for it, and then helping them to understand how Liberty solves these problems moving forward, then I invite you to join me. Our website is you the membership is free and we would love for you to be a part of it.
0: Great points, Mike. Yeah, the appeal to emotion—that is certainly a very powerful aspect of all this. And you're right; we get a yeah. little linear with our thinking. Sure. I think uh, <laughs> sometimes, being the individualists that we are, you know, as you mentioned, yes, solution-oriented, exactly. oriented, system-based, and, and again, they also use these appeal to uh, emotion um, techniques too. You know, our, our ideological opponents, uh, the government. So it's something that we need to utilize as well. So uh, we're near the end here. Do you have anything else you want to plug? I know you just mentioned you are the power, but is there anything else that you would like to um, tell people about or maybe tell them how to connect with you, how to follow you?
2: Yeah, I mean, my website is spikecohen.com. I'm on pretty much all social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm on Minds. I am on Float. Uh, I'm on TikTok for the kids. Um, And uh, so it's pretty easy to reach me there. Um, I'm also, uh, as we talked about at the beginning, I'm regularly doing events, uh, of all kinds across the country. So if you go to spike we have a, a running tally of the upcoming events that I'm going to be doing. If I'm anywhere near you, or you're going to be anywhere near me, please come on out. I'd love to meet you. Um, and again, if, if you are, if you would like to be a part of the movement that we are building, um, you are the power is that movement. And our website is you are Uh, and our, uh, you are the power is also on, uh, a few things i know we're on facebook instagram and twitter and i uh, believe we're on some others uh, but uh my social media person uh, isn't here so I <laughs> but uh if you go if you go to you are the power.net we'd love for you to sign up um and be a part of this uh we are just getting started and we're already making incredible headway um our goal is to have a major we already have members in every single state uh we our goal is to have a major presence uh in every state i i want the petty tyrants and NIMBYs and uh, aspiring major tyrants across this country to tremble in fear every time they hear that You Are The Power is getting involved and know that their their days of, you know, getting over on the, the people that they're subjecting their nonsense to are numbered. Uh, and if you want to be a part of that, then come to youarethepower.net and sign up today
0: yes yeah i i have signed up myself i get the emails i believe i'm following you on facebook awesome instagram awesome. and twitter yeah no we got to do that guys we have to support each other so please go to uh you and please sign up for the email spike you've made some big waves over the past couple of years and i'm grateful we had the opportunity to talk today i'm also confident that you recognize the urgency of these issues uh, the importance of swinging the pendulum back towards liberty And the seriousness of consequences if we don't. So I very much appreciate your hard work, your endless commitment, and your tireless efforts. You're a blessing to the Liberty community. And we are delighted to have you join us today. Thank you so much, man.
2: That means a lot, Jason. Thank you. And thank you for the work you do with Police the Police and Free Thought Project and everything else. Uh, you are uh, long before anyone knew who the hell I was, I was long for many years inspired by what Free Thought Project and Police the Police and, and others have been doing. So thank you for the work you've done. You you were one of my inspirations very much so. Thank you, man. Very much appreciate that.